0: Hello, and welcome to A Dose of True Crime, the podcast with a penchant for poison. I'm your host and resident toxicologist, Erin. Thank you all for your patience over the last week. I know this episode is a week late. Uh, We had a few very minor health issues pop up that we had to deal with. So again, thank you for your patience. And hopefully we will be back on track with a new episode every week from here on out. If you are enjoying the show, please follow the podcast on whatever platform you're using. Uh, go jump on Apple podcasts and rate us, give us five stars. Um, and please just share us with your friends. So before we jump into this week's episode, I did want to give a little bit of a trigger warning that there is going to be some talk of suicide. So if that's not where your head's at today, uh, please, you know, go ahead and just turn the episode off and we'll catch you next week. But for those of you that are in a good mental place to hear that, let's go. Pullman, Washington is a picturesque small town home to one of six campuses for Washington state university. Just west of the Washington-Idaho border, Pullman has a small town charm nestled in the rolling hills of Eastern Washington. Washington State University offers over 200 degrees and certificates for prospective students. Being the largest campus of the WSU family, uh, WSU Pullman sees thousands of students pass through the doors, including Jacob Forster. Jacob Forster was born in April of 1981. He grew up in Tennessee, graduating from high school in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Jacob had struggled with mental illness through his high school years, even attempting suicide. After he was unsuccessful, he entered a treatment program to teach him to better cope with his mental illness. He went on to study psychology and chemistry and actually received master's degrees in both. Life led him to reside in Washington State, where he met Cheryl Williams. At the age of 27, he married Cheryl. Cheryl, born in December of 1985, was 22 at the time and was active in the local Seventh-day Adventist church. Raised in Idaho and eastern Washington, Cheryl remained close to her roots. Both Cheryl and Jacob had a history of loving music and incorporating it into their lives, with Jacob playing the French horn and Cheryl studying music in college. She graduated with a bachelor's degree in music education the year after she married Jacob. A few years later, the couple would settle down in Uniontown, Washington, a small town on the eastern border of Washington state. Located between Idaho and the Washington State University Pullman campus, Uniontown allowed Cheryl to remain close to her family and allowed Jacob to pursue his doctoral degree at WSU. Can I just say, as a chemist, seeing Uniontown, my go to instinct is to say an ion town, which, if you're into chemistry, you'll think that's funny. But, anyways, Uniontown. While Jacob studied chemistry at WSU, Cheryl taught music at a school in Lewiston, Idaho, which was just across the border in Idaho. Jacob's mental health continued to be a battle for him. During his doctoral program, he experienced a particularly rough time with his depression and sought treatment. He was treated with medication and with therapy. The idea of suicide remained a common topic in his treatment for depression. In 2013, Jacob was looking at defending his doctoral thesis and wrapping up the degree. In the fall, he planned to continue on to dental school. Dental school would require the Foresters to relocate to California and would cost about $300,000. Leading up to the spring of 2013, Jacob had requested that Cheryl apply for a $1 million life insurance policy. Which should be a red flag for any of you that listen to true crime a lot. Big red flag. She complied and worked on getting all the necessary documentation together. Jacob also applied for a life insurance policy, although his only covered 500,000. Cheryl's application was approved earlier in 2013 and on Wednesday, March 27th, 2013, Jacob's life insurance policy was approved wednesday march 27th 2013 was a normal day with jacob working in his laboratory for his doctoral research and cheryl teaching music at the school where she worked the couple went to bed that evening as they normally would during the night cheryl was awoken she looked around to see what had disturbed her and noticed a red light jacob was standing next to her She assumed he was using the red light to see and trying not to wake her. So Cheryl rolled over and went back to sleep. Around 3 a.m. That same night, Cheryl woke up again and felt like something wasn't right. She couldn't see anything and felt short of breath. She brought her hands up to her head and felt a box. A cardboard box was covering her head. Feeling a rising panic, she tried to remove the box from her head and struggled. She continued working at it until she finally felt the box lifted away. Jacob had removed the box from Cheryl's head. She watched him retreat from her bed, carrying the box. He picked up a tank of some sort and left the bedroom. The next morning, Cheryl was curious about the event the night before. She stepped out of their house and walked to the separate shop building in their yard. There she saw the cardboard box and the tank. She also saw the plastic tubing running from the tank into the cardboard box. Documents are not clear on the events leading up to Thursday, April 25th, 2013. So this is almost a full month later. On this Thursday, Cheryl reported the incident to the police. And an investigation began with Cheryl's assistance, police recorded phone conversations between Cheryl and Jacob in which Cheryl asked him about the night of Wednesday, March 27th. During the call, Jacob allegedly admits to trying to poison Cheryl stating quote that night and not at any point in the future, I was trying to kill you end quote. Naturally terrified by this revelation, Cheryl informed the police and they scheduled another call where Cheryl would be sitting with the police and would call to speak with Jacob. In this call, Jacob stated that he was, quote, at peace with the potential consequences, end quote, of his actions and requested that Cheryl warn him if she planned on pressing charges so he could, quote, mentally become prepared end quote, with the idea of prison. He promised her that he would not commit suicide. So just to put this into perspective, a creepy night where she wakes up with a box on her head and can't breathe and sees a tank. A month goes by and she reports the incident to the police and they investigate. And then she finds out that her husband had attempted to kill her and requested that she give him a heads up before letting the police know so he could mentally prepare himself when she was given no time to mentally prepare herself when he attacked her initially. So the audacity, truly. Police looked into the tank uh, as well and where it may have come from. The tank was determined to be filled with compressed nitrogen, a gas Jacob had access to in his lab on WSU's Pullman campus. Logbooks show a record of Jacob checking out the tank on Wednesday, March 27th, 2013. On Tuesday, April 30th, 2013, Jacob Forster was arrested and charged with first degree murder. He would later plead not guilty to first degree murder, stating that he only intended to knock Cheryl out so that she wouldn't interrupt his attempted suicide that night using the nitrogen. When questioned, Jacob talked about his choice of nitrogen as a means of suicide, describing the asphyxiation and a limited means of detecting it in a victim. He claimed that death by nitrogen would look like a cardiac arrest. His life insurance policy would not pay out in the event of a suicide. And Jacob claimed to have been trying to ensure that Cheryl would get the payout. Cheryl reported that Jacob urged her to get a life insurance policy that would cover the cost of his dental school in the event something should ever happen to her, which again, big red flag. Cheryl did proceed with filing for divorce from Jacob on May 13th, 2013. His jury trial was originally scheduled for June of that year. The prosecution maintained that Jacob planned to murder Cheryl in order to collect her life insurance while the defense claimed that Jacob only ever intended to knock Cheryl out so he could complete suicide without her interruption. The phone conversation that had been recorded between Cheryl and Jacob was ultimately thrown out as evidence, which was definitely a blow to the prosecution. On March 24th, 2014, almost a full year after the initial attack, Jacob pled guilty to first degree attempted assault and was sentenced to 70 months in prison. As of 2023, Jacob has served his time and has been released from prison. Cheryl has remained and is still working in Western Idaho, teaching music. She went on to remarry and resettle with hopefully a less murderous has allegedly murderous husband. So let's jump into the science. So nitrogen is a chemical element on the periodic table with an atomic mass of 14. Nitrogen is a gas at room temperature. It's colorless and odorless. The air we breathe on a daily basis is about 78% nitrogen and only 21% oxygen with the remaining bit just other gases. While inhaling nitrogen is a common and natural action, oxygen is also being inhaled, which is the critical compound. Your diaphragm sits below your lungs and contracts during an inhalation, which allows your lungs to expand and draw in air. The air around us is inhaled through the nose and mouth and passes through your trachea and into your lungs. Once inside your lungs, the air passes through the bronchial tubes and to the alveoli or the air sacs. At this stage, the oxygen in that inhalation is able to pass through the alveoli and enter into your bloodstream. The rest of the inhalation, so the nitrogen and any other compound that was in there, is then forced out of the lungs when your lungs contract and you exhale. The oxygen that entered the alveoli is picked up by the hemoglobin in your bloodstream. Hemoglobin is an iron rich protein that is tasked with distributing oxygen throughout your body. So it's again, kind of another little messenger. It picks up the oxygen at your lungs and carries it all the way out, you know, to your fingertips or wherever you need it, which I mean, you need it everywhere. So. Once full of oxygen, your bloodstream is pumped out to your body by your heart. Oxygen is dropped off at different cells along the way and is used in cellular respiration that keeps your body functioning. Carbon dioxide is produced in those reactions in the cellular respiration reactions and is passed back to the bloodstream where it is carried back to the heart, passed over to the lungs and ultimately exhaled. So asphyxiation is where your body is deprived of oxygen so it is not getting the oxygen that it needs and that can lead to hypoxia hypoxia is a deficiency in the amount of oxygen reaching different body tissues so there's several ways that that can happen there's several ways where you can not get the oxygen you need and then all of the tissues in your body are then not oxygenated so the first one is that there's not enough oxygen making it into the lungs whether your airway is blocked or from the air just not having enough oxygen number two the oxygen content could be normal but the oxygen maybe can't be released from the blood or the cells aren't able to use it so that's the case of like carbon monoxide or um, some other gases like that where it essentially blocks the hemoglobin from doing anything with oxygen and number three is that oxy- oxygen content is normal in the blood but the blood supply is restricted from the tissue so that still prevents the oxygen from making it out to your extremity if you know your circulation is cut off or something uh, so nitrogen inhalation falls into category one where there's simply not enough oxygen being inhaled With Jacob's box contraption, the air around Cheryl's face would have been composed of primarily nitrogen and her inhalations would have lacked sufficient oxygen. With continued oxygen deprivation, the body would have entered into respiratory arrest, impacting the heart and all other organs. Externally, the victim would appear to fall asleep before ultimately dying. Breathing becomes difficult when oxygen levels fall below 16% when the air is 4 to 6% oxygen, people fall unconscious. Treatment is provide oxygen. The source of nitrogen would need to be removed and the patient would be given medical oxygen in an attempt to reoxygenate the blood and tissues. Depending on how long the individual has been without proper oxygen and how deprived of oxygen they may have been, a full recovery is very possible. In Cheryl's case, the box was on her head for about 30 seconds. As it was not airtight, some oxygen was still able to get in, which means her oxygen supply was limited, but not cut off. Since she woke up and disturbed Jacob's actions, she was able to remove the gas and breathe normal oxygen with no lasting effects or damage to her body. Jacob's alleged intentions to commit suicide would have also been very possible with nitrogen gas. Recently use of nitrogen in death penalty cases has been evaluated and debated. Some States have even authorized this method of execution, but none have tested and implemented the practice yet. So that is our story for this week. I would love to hear what your thoughts are. What were Jacob's actual intentions? He was only charged with first degree assault, but what do you think? Have a great week. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. To get in touch with the podcast, you can send an email to a dose of true crime at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at a dose of true crime, all one word. If you enjoyed the episode, please follow, rate, and review the podcast on whatever platform you use. See you next week for more tales of toxicity. Bye hello 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 hello, hello, located between idaho Idico- idaho right that 's a state. That doesn't make sense. While inhaling nitrogen is a common and natural oxygen, oxygen. Yeah, that's right. The oxygen that entered the, okay.